Two lunatics escape from a mental institution. They uh, manage to climb up the side of the building. They reach the roof in the middle of the night. They uh, go to the edge of the roof and the nearest building is too far to jump. Even with a running start, it's too far to jump. And the one lunatic says to the other, you know, we're, that's it, we're lost. And the first lunatic said, no, 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 no. I have a flashlight with me. What I'll do is I'll turn on the flashlight, set the flashlight on the ledge, and you and I can walk across the beam of light to the next building. And the second lunatic says, are you out of your mind? When I was halfway across, you'd turn off the light and I'd fall. This is Rish Outfield and this is the Rish Outcast. And in case you haven't heard me say it lately, everybody loves chalupas. I tend to do three different kinds of shows on the Rish Outcast. There is the, uh, well, what the show was intended for, which is me presenting a short story of mine and then talking about it. Sadly, those are probably the least frequent episodes, although, boy, I've really been trying this year. Second category is very common. It is, I have something on my mind, a topic that I want to talk about, an anecdote I want to relate, something that's bugging me, you know, or, or a mood I'm in, and I just talk. I talk for a few minutes and that's your episode. Sometimes I'll throw in a fake Sean Connery song. I'm going to start doing little bonus short stories at the end of these episodes for my Patreon supporters. But then there's a third category, and the third category we don't get much at all. Although, you know, surely there's six or seven episodes like that. And it is, I'm here to promote something. I'm trying to talk about something that I've just written or published, worked on. And uh, yeah, I think we've reached one of those episodes this month, this week, this hour, tonight. And um, I shan't bury the lead. I have recently published, let's just call it a novella, okay? I don't know if it technically is a novella, but I, I've beaten that particular horse beyond death. It's just really cruel now. Although beating it to death should have been the cruel part. Beating it when it's already dead, uh, you know, technically that's less cruel. I published a novella called, deep breath, Journey into Another Dimension through a portal near a truck stop restroom. It is a story that I started for my buddy Marshall Latham's podcast. He's got the Journey, Journey, into, Journey, Journey, into, Journey into podcast. Journey, Journey, Journey. Or he once did. I don't know. And in the very beginning of 2016, he had a contest. It was a writing contest for his show. Basically, it could be anything, uh, any genre, although he wanted speculative fiction. And he, he didn't want grimdark. But the parameters were, it had to be X number of words, and the title had to begin with Journey Into. 
So journey into a stranger's colon. Journey into a local hospital burn ward. Journey into a third-rate vomitorium. And um, I thought that that was pretty cool, that he would uh, not have too stringent a, uh, a requirement to get on there. And I know Marshall pretty well. Well, I mean, how well do we really know? How well do you really know your husband, Mrs. Charles? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought I, I was about to say that I, I know Marshall pretty well, but I don't know. I don't know that I do. I know him a little bit. We are podcasting partners, after all, and friends, I think it's fair to say. I, I mean, I, I call him socially, and there are very, very few people that I can say that about. So, um, January 2016, I'm part of a, um, is it a mailing list? What do you call I'm, a, I got a, I'm on an email list for extra work locally because I really, really enjoyed being an extra in Los Angeles. I, I'm sure I've talked about it, right? Talked about it on this show and other places. That uh, That's how I paid my rent. That's how I made my living as being an extra. And because there's so much industry work in L.A., you can do that. You can be an extra as your job. And for a brief, shining moment, before it all went to hell, that's what I was. I had an agent whose job was to find me work, and it worked out pretty well, I thought. But uh, all good things, right? It did come to an end. In conjunction with that, I moved away from Los Angeles, and, and I've never been the same. But... I still enjoy show business, I still enjoy the film industry, and I, I long to be there. And so, in case there was ever available work, I signed up for a mailing list. And every once in a while, there's a TV show that shoots around here. Every once in a while, even in less frequently, there is a movie that shoots here. And so, I have managed to work a few times, I mean, just a handful of times. The amount of times I've worked since Los Angeles is probably what I did in a month in Los Angeles. But there was a call for children one day, and I thought, oh, it would be neat if I could get my nephew work on something. He might enjoy that. He's photogenic. I certainly am not. Maybe somebody somewhere, maybe this kid has a, a future. I, I, you know, I don't know. I lived in California when I was a toddler. And my mom says that she considered taking me into some place and, you know, taking pictures and see if I could get some work in the industry. Uh, and she never did it. And when I heard that story as a kid, I was just like, oh, my uh, friend growing up, Stephen's dad, had worked on some Roger Corman movies. And when Stephen was a baby, he got to be a, a child actor. I guess he's a child if he's a baby. Uh, and I was always jealous of that. So anyway, I just thought it would be neat to get my nephew a gig 
there was a Steven Soderbergh project shooting and I sent pictures of the boy and said I'd be his chaperone and sure enough he got the job and we went up there um, it was like a chateau at a ski resort and I was the parent rather than the extra so I didn't get to see them shooting anything I didn't get to see I didn't get to see anything it wasn't until lunch that I was able to look around and say oh okay that's who's the in this and yeah I I didn't recognize Steven Soderbergh I went online to look at a picture so I would know who he was in person but my nephew he worked on it and while he worked on it I just had to sit in holding which is the penitentiary for extras nah, it's just the place where extras go in their off hours you know while they're waiting because that's mostly what people do unless you're a grip who are always working that's what you do in show business you wait wait for makeup wait for the actors wait for the stand-ins to get there wait for craft services wait for transpo what you know you wait to be used and being a chaperone meant that I would never be used I would have plenty of time to sit around and I, I wasn't even being paid my nephew was being paid but you know if it sounds like I'm complaining I'm not I'm not at all I made my bed and, and I'm okay to sleep in it uh, so I sat down in the morning opened my notebook and I thought well okay let me come up with something for Marshall's contest and what I came up with was a portal opens up to another dimension another world and I think I was going to have a guy and his wife go through the portal to have some kind of adventure and then I got the idea of okay well what if the port what if he his wife goes through the portal first and when she comes out a bunch of time has passed and she's totally changed like a year has passed and I liked that idea a lot you know I, I developed it a little more and I decided okay it's a guy and a girl on their honeymoon and she's really timid really soft-spoken there's a girl at work well there was a girl at work at that time who would always apologize anything that went wrong she would apologize she walked hunched over and miserable like the way to the like the world had beat her down and it broke my heart because she was lovely she was such a sweet pretty girl that yeah my heart went out to her and I just thought oh you know that's who this girl is when she goes through the portal and when she comes out the portal she's no longer that person she's tough as nails and she knows how to fight and she's hard and quick and sharp as attack and I just thought wow that would be a really fun story to write and then the third thing that I came up with was what if the world that they go through is absurd it's ridiculous it's super silly and nonsensical and yeah there I had my story those three elements really were what I needed and and I don't think I've ever talked about this with you, but I've talked about it with other people, that I need three elements before I will write a story now. 
because there's been so many times when it's like, oh, I'd like to write a story about fascism. I'd like to write a story about loneliness. I'd like to write a story about somebody who's beautiful and then something happens and they lose their beauty and they have to function without it. That's one element. I need more than that to even make the attempt to write something because experience has told me that I will run out of gas if I don't have more than that. So anyway, on that day, while I was waiting for my nephew, and because he was a minor, he wasn't allowed to work very long. You know, it's a, it's a sliding scale of how many hours you're allowed to work, depending on how old you are. Like an infant is only allowed to work, I think, two hours in a day. And that's why they always hire twins, so that they can get double the two hours out of one soul. Because twins really only have a soul that they share. I... <coughs> Sorry, I'll try not to <coughs> mock twins. So anyway, in that time, I uh, sat down and I, I wrote up a an outline, sort of where the story was going to go, little notes on the character of the wife, character names, and then a couple of absurd and crazy aspects to their world. And that to me was the most fun. Coming up with just stuff that didn't make any sense. And then I started from the beginning to just write it. All on this one day, which was cool. I wish I could say that I wrote the whole thing that day. I like that when I sit down and in a fury of activity I finish something. But unfortunately this, this ended up being bigger than I had planned. Much bigger. And I believe Marshall had set a word count limit and I knew that I was going to exceed that. The story wasn't even done and I think I had maybe exceeded that. So I, I wrote this for him and then I had never gave it to him. Which is too bad, but that's that's okay. I mean, I hope he does another contest sometime in the future and I can win that. But this story you know, took me a little bit longer <laughs> to write than that one day. Or Also, I'm sure there was a deadline for for his contest. And I don't think I had the discipline to finish it in time. I did consider sending it to him anyway and just saying, well, I know this is probably not appropriate for your contest, but I wanted you to read it first because, you know, it's all for you, Damien. And I didn't do that either. Not long after that, I made it a goal to write every single day for a month, and I, I did it. I think I went for 40 days, 45 days, something like that. And this story was during that period, and I, I did write, I think, the whole thing in my magic notebook and finished it, which is nice. Then I just set it aside. I, you know, I read somewhere years ago that you finish, you finish something that you write and then you either give it to people for them to give you notes or you set it aside. You put it somewhere that they say to put it in a drawer for a period of time. I've heard for a month, I've heard for six months so that when you go back to it, 
it, you have a fresh eye and it's not on your mind so that you've gained some distance from it. You won't be able to predict word for word what the next line is going to be. And you're able to look at it a little bit more objectively and see where it needs work, that kind of thing. I, I, I don't know. But I, I heard that advice years ago and I liked it. And so I do do that. Although for me, it's also an excuse to, once I finished something, to put it away and never look at it again and say, yay, my work here is done. That's a character flaw, as you well know, but ah, there's plenty to go around. So um, not too long ago, I checked out a book from the library and it was the first installment in a fantasy series that looked like it would be a lot of fun. I read the back and I was like, wow, oh, hey, this sounds like it's going to be joyous, you know. It wasn't similar to my project at all. Basically, there's a young protagonist and he discovers the world does not make the kind of sense that he thought that it did. You know, it's one of those where you're a wizard, Harry. He discovers that the world's not what it seems and that he is like a lost scion kind of thing. You know, he, he is an heir to heretofore unknown power and ability. And I'm not going to mince words. It was one of the worst things I've ever read, ever. I hated it so much that if I hadn't got it from the library, I would have taken great joy in throwing it and smashing it and tearing it apart. And the thing is, the author of this book is a talented person, respected, way more respected than I will ever be. I could take a bullet for the Lord himself and I would not be as revered as this author. And so I kept saying, okay, you know, I, I'm going to see this through to the end. I'm going to keep on going. Uh, you know, there's only 200 more pages. There's only 116 more pages. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go to the end so that I can talk with authority about this. And it feels like it's building towards something because it's one of those books that starts with the final scene of the book and, and then says, oh, hey, I know, guys. Let me go back and tell you how I got here. None of this will make sense unless you know. And so I was waiting for it to get to that point. And so I, I went through the whole book in misery, like a bug on a pin. Just unhappy as F, guys. There was so much that bothered me about the book. The thing that bothered me the most was the, the author's voice. I've never read a book where the author's voice was that intrusive and snide and dismissive of the reader. It just, it made me never want to read anything by this guy again. And yeah, okay, it's been three months and I haven't, but eventually I probably will because, like I said, revered author. I hated it, but what, what makes this story relevant is that there were all these characters who were trying to convince our main character that the way he saw the world was wrong that his education was wrong, his mindset was wrong, that he 
was wrong. And it inflamed me with a, a burning hate. I, you know, it's just like, well, when you threw that ball up in the air and it came down, explain that. And he's like, well, you know, the earth has gravity. The forces of gravity pull on an object. And he's like, oh, you dumb dork. It's the sky spirit that causes things. You threw the ball up in the air. The sky spirit caught it. And when he was done holding it, he threw it back into your hand. The sky spirit and you were playing catch, you dumb, hairless ape. All the characters in the book did this. They would shovel fresh, undulating brown cow pies in the face of the main character and say, eat, eat. This is a gourmet cornucopia here. Eat. And I'm not a good public speaker, am I? I just, I don't have the words. I was so angered by this book and I just, if I never read anything by this author again, I will uh, consider myself fortunate. I just, I, I, I hated it, dude. And uh, usually I have a little bit more backbone, a little bit more strength of character. If I hate something that much to say, no, I'm not going to finish this. Screw this thing. I'm done. But in this case, I wanted to see how it would all tie together. And I guess that's the other cardinal sin. I mean, you can say, oh, that's charming. Oh, it didn't get warm because the sun came out. The sky spirit, what, you know, you can say, oh, that's just adorable. I love that. But when I got to the end of the book, it was revealed that the opening scene was a lie. The author had lied to me to the reader, to you as well. And that was not charming. You can't do that. You can't be dishonest. Can you? Well, he was, and I'm telling you, you cannot be dishonest. There is an implicit relationship between the author and the reader. It requires a little bit of trust. And it requires that the author is not going to hornswoggle you the author is not going to rip you off. The author is not going to be revealed as being a liar and a prankster and a joker and the jokes on you. So I hated it. And I wish that I hadn't wasted your time talking about it because it's only tangentially related. But when I read that, I thought, I wrote that journey into story. Was I like this? All the fun that I was having coming up with just absurdities, nonsensical things. Was I doing the same thing that this bastard was doing? My story, Journey Into Another Dimension, ain't got none of that bullshit. The absurdity of my story, hopefully, I mean, if I did it right, it is delivered with a wink to the audience. Letting the audience know that this is not to be taken seriously. 
And I think probably the best example is at one point, the main character sees a giant butterfly in this alien world. He points it out to his wife and she says, oh, those are Barbara Billingsley's. They are harbingers of good fortune. And he goes, wait a minute. Is that named after the mom on Leave it to Beaver? And she says, no, just an unrelated coincidence. Boy, it's, it's weird to try to talk my story up and somebody else's story down. Although there's no defending the other story. It's dishonest. Even if you love the author's voice, he's a liar, not to be trusted. And I don't give my money to liars. But, but, let me put it this way. If somebody read Journey into Another Dimension and they said to me, no offense, Rich, but that was maybe the stupidest story I've ever read. Okay, I would be a little bit hurt, a little bit offended, but for the most part, I would get it. Yeah, it is stupid. It's silly. Somebody once told me that what I write was magical realism. I, I've said that before. But what this story is, is magical surrealism. You know, I mean, it is, it's a fantasy story that is meant to amuse rather than blow somebody's mind, rather than move somebody, rather than tread new ground, rather than show you know, that I have an education or any of that stuff that authors do besides try and tell a story. Boy, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels here. Like I've spoken too long and dug myself in kind of deep that if anybody had interest in this piece, it's gone now. And you know, that's okay. For something like into the furnace or you know one of my audio collections the calling to journey of a sidekick yes it would hurt if i found out that nobody bought it and or nobody liked it newfound fame yeah, that's one that i'm very proud of and if somebody said that eh, that was the stupidest thing yeah that would really bother me but this one it is stupid by design it was me trying something new, and uh, I don't know if I succeeded in what I was trying to do. Morgan emerged, blinking in the too bright light. He squinted upward, his nose already telling him he was far from home before his eyes did. The feel of the air had changed, too. More humid, but with more fresh air circulating. Above him, there was an orange sky... Around him were sandy hills, blue and purple vegetation. The moon in the sky was bright and smooth, with no craters. No doubt about it. He was in another world. A cloud parted in the sky, revealing a smaller moon, this one green. Or maybe it was a planet. He heard his wife take a deep breath beside him and spun. She had finished her Diet Pepsi in one giant gulp. She shuddered. That tasted terrible, she exclaimed. Like a bottle of chemicals. Marin turned her head his way, a big smile on her gorgeous face. 
Her teeth seemed straighter, whiter. Her lips were full and pink, although she wore no makeup. The air felt brisk and cold, even though there was warmth all around him. Tropical warmth. His feet were half sunk in some kind of grass or shrubbery. Or maybe it was sponge. It was purple. Somewhere, a bird called. Or maybe it was a frog. Or possibly something in between. This was unreal. Toto, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore, quipped Morgan. Marin's smile went away. Ugh. Interstellar traveler, and that's the best you can do, she said. Marin slowly turned away from him, and he saw her back muscles flex. Smooth, perfect tan skin where it had been fish pale the night before. She scanned the horizon, as though searching for something, like a sentry in an old movie about the wild frontier. Morgan squinted in the direction his wife was staring, and saw what appeared to be an upside-down rainbow. That didn't seem to be what she was looking for. Interstellar, he asked, his voice a bit shakier than he liked. Baby, please explain where we are. And what happened to you? This world is called Scub, she said, not breaking her focus. As far as I know, it's in another solar system, with totally different stars visible during what short night there is. I came through in this exact space a year back, and had to make my way since then. A year? You've been here a year? Yes. I was stuck. It was scary and hard. At first. But eventually, I figured it all out. You'll probably do better than I did. Stuck, he said, and turned to look behind him. The portal, which had been big and white on this side, was now the size of a baseball. As he stared at it, it became a golf ball, then a gumball. Then it was gone. You were stuck here? Then why did we come back through? This is a good world, but it's under attack. The people here need me. They need us both. Marin's hard stare softened, and she smiled. She'd seen whatever she'd been searching. And then Morgan realized there was a ghost walking toward them, previously blocked by the portal. It was a skeleton with a thin layer of skin on it, dressed in rags and an odd apron-like covering that went over its chest, stomach, and groin. It had blue lips and big, blinking brown eyes. It topped the ridge, then paused, its bony hands opening and closing. It was an alien, a few inches shorter than he was. Mistress, you are back! The alien's voice was delighted, lightly accented, and male. Hey, you, Marin said behind them, and Morgan knew she had to be talking to a child or a bunny rabbit. Morgan, this is Farliger, one of my chief bodyguards. Hello, Morgan said, feeling awkward. Heck, maybe I should have used that Barbara Billingsley part as the sample. I don't know. 
as I've said before, my goal is to publish more. And yeah, I got to be honest, in 2017, I did not do well with the publishing. I set a goal of writing a lot, right? Doing a lot of my own podcasts, and boy, I've done that. It's been real nice. But I haven't done much publishing. Journey into Another Dimension is the newest thing that I've put out there, and if you'd like to check it out, I would appreciate it. If not, there is more stuff. I will put out more stuff. I guess that was it. Weird. Let's see if I can't treat you with something at the end of this episode. Something like a Creative Commons license, huh? I've been Rish Outfield. Good night. The music in today's episode was presented by Kevin McLeod of the website Incompetech.com. Now listen up, you, because I shan't be saying this again. The Rish Outcast is presented under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike license. That means you can't alter, sell, or claim ownership of the file. But you can download it, share it, and grind it to bits under your heavy boots free of charge. There's also a Patreon fund attached to it if you've lost hold of your senses and want to encourage more of the show. You can donate a dollar an episode and up, or just contribute monthly to Outfield's daft schemes. In return, he presents exclusive content, as well as early access to the episodes. You still here? Well, get out there and get on with your day. You think the bad guys are going to stop themselves? Thus endeth the lesson. Knock, knock. Did you really just say knock, knock, Rish Outfield? Yes, but these sketches are really hard to get started. Ah, that's true enough. Fake Sean, you doing anything right now? As a matter of fact, I was in and the... And don't mi mention my mother. Ah. I need you to do a little song for me. Is song a euphemism, you filthy bugger? No, what would it be a euphemism for? Ah, ever slow on the uptake, aren't you, boy? Anyhow, it's uh, Marshall Latham's birthday. No, it isn't. And I was hoping that we could... No, it isn't. You and I uh, do a little song for it. No, it isn't. Like, you know, I sometimes do uh, for Big Anklevich's birthday. No, it isn't. Problem is, I'm only aware of one song that Marshall's fond of, and, well, I don't really know the song. Why is that a problem for me? Well, because... Yes? Don't make me say it. Say what, Rishi lad? That you don't exist and I've been diagnosed with acute narcissistic alternate personality disorder. Say the whole thing. Acute narcissistic alternate personality disorder with Oedipal undertonal scato-obsessional syndrome. And I'm currently being observed by mental health professionals. There. You happy now? Quite. But you're forgetting the mental health amateurs, interns, and passers-by that also occasionally observe you. Uh-huh. 
observe you and laugh. Sean, please. It's Sir Sean, remember? Sir Sean, would you mind recording a song for Marshall Latham's birthday? Well, I would, but his birthday was over a month ago. What? Why didn't you tell me? I did. Four times. Well, maybe we could just record one and not mention that we missed his birthday. Sure. That makes perfect sense. You realize they're watching you now, don't you? Diagnosing you? Making personal judgments? Taking feverish notes? One is picking his nose. Ew. Really? He just wiped it on his clipboard. He thinks I don't see him. Well, if you'd sing a song for Marshall, they'd see that you're real, that I didn't make you up, that I don't belong here anymore, and they'd stop putting that stuff in the food that makes me wet my pants. Oh, lad, they didn't put anything in your food. Oh. All right. I'll sing your song, you damaged little flamingo, if you will sing one of your own. Well, sure. I can do that. I have your word? Yes, if you'll do the Marshall one first. Agreed. Okay, uh, the only song I know that Marshall likes is Convoy by C.W. McCall. Oh, Santa Lucia, no! <laughs> Too bad. Music's already starting. Yeah, Breaker19, this here's the rubber duck. You got a copy on me? Pigpen, come in. Uh, yeah, 10-4, Pigpen, for sure, for sure. By golly, it's clean, clear the flag town. Come on! Yeah, that's your big 10-4 there, Pigpen. We definitely got the front door, good buddy. Ha! Ah, she shakes alive. Looks like we got us a convoy. What the hell? It was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth pulling logs, cab over Pete with a reefer on, and a Jimmy hauling hogs. We was heading for Bear 101, about a mile out of Shaky Town. I said, Pigpen, this here's the rubber duck. I'm about to put the hammer down. I don't understand a damned word of this song. Could we get the English version, please? Come on, join the convoy. You're never gonna stand in our way. Convoy, cross the USA, convoy. A breaker pig pen, this here's the duck, and I, uh, I want you to back off them hogs. Yeah, down for about a mile or so, getting, uh, ha, roger them hogs. By the time we got into Tulsa Town, we had 85 trucks in all. But there's your roadblock up the clover leaf, and them bears was wall to wall. Yeah, them smokies as thick as bugs on a bumper. They even had a bear in the air. I should call in old trucks. This here's the duck. We're about to go a hunting bear. Oh, we got a big convoy going through the night. We got a big convoy. Ain't she a beautiful sight? Come on, join the convoy. We're never gonna stand our way. Convoy, uh, you want to give me a 10-9 on that pig pen? Negatory, you're still too close to them hogs. You're starting to close up my sinuses. Mercy sakes, you better back off another 10. Well, we rolled up Interstate 44 like a rocket sled on rails. We tore up all of our swindle sheets and left them on the scales. By the time we hit that shy town, them bears was a-getting smart. They brought up some reinforcements from the Illinois National Guard. 
There was armoured trucks and tanks and jeeps and rigs of every size. Every size. Yeah, them chicken coops was full of bears and choppers filled the skies. But we shot the line, we went for broke with a thousand screaming trucks and eleven long-haired friends of Jesus in a chartreuse microbus. <laughs> yeah, Rabadak, this is Sodbuster. Listen, you want to put that microbus behind the suicide jockey? Yeah, 10-4 Sodbuster. Yeah, he's hauling dynamite. He needs all the help he can get. Well, we laid a strip for the Jersey Shore, prepared to cross the line. I could see the bridge was lined with bears, but I didn't have a dog on dime. I said, Pigpen, look, here's the rubber duck. We just ain't gonna pay no toll. So we crashed the gate to a 98. I said, let them truckers roll 10 4. Boy, riding through the night. Yeah, the riding convoy. Beautiful sight. Beautiful sight. A convoy, nothing gonna stand our way. Convoy across the USA. Convoy. Ah, 10 4, Pigpen. Bunch of 20 Omaha. Well, they ought to know what to do with them hogs out there for sure. Mercy sakes, good buddy. We're gonna back on out of here. Keep the bugs off your glass, the bears off your tail. We'll catch you on the flip-flop. This here's the rubber duck on the side. We're gone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What in the bloody hell? Oh, this is maybe the worst song I've ever done. <laughs> hey, thanks, Fake Sean. I know Marshall will appreciate that. No, he won't. He despises you and your manic adult-onset schizophrenia and chronic bedwetting. Ah, and it's Sir Fake Sean. Right, right. How did the doctors and attendants take it? Take what? My song? Yes. Did they see that you're real? That I'm not crazy? That the only reason I soil myself is the injections they keep giving me? Oh. They lost interest, began looking at their phones, and the nose picker started in on the other side. Oh. Well, thanks for that. Well, maybe next year we can get the song in in time for Marshall's birthday. That seems unlikely. Hey, where are you going? The bathroom. I thought I'd get a head start in case the medication. No, no. You owe me a song, remember? Well, I, I hoped you'd forget. Not hardly. You remember the weather girls? The who? No, the who sang Baba O'Reilly. The weather girls sang It's Raining Men. Oh, fake Sean, no. Fake Rish, yes. But I'm under observation. Think about how it will look. Too bad. The music's already starting. Oh, no. Sing your little heart out, Outfield. I doubt anyone will notice. Oh, they've put down their phones. They're watching through the glass quite intensely. Boogerman's even reached for a tissue. Great. Hallelujah. Hi, we're your weather girls. And have we got news for you? You'd better listen. All you lonely girls, and leave those umbrellas at home, all right? <laughs> Rising, thou low girls. We better hurry up, cause tonight for the first time, just about half past ten. 
for the first time in history it's gonna start raining man it's raining man hallelujah it's raining man amen i'm gonna go out i'm gonna let myself get absolutely soaking wet it's raining man hallelujah it's raining man every specimen tall blonde dark and lean rough and tough and strong and free with a giant